Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Side effects of listening to the show include happiness, joy, contentment, anger, and lighting wood on fire. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, wishing you all a happy St. Patty's Day. Uh, I guess there's uh, there's more Irish in, uh, in the world than there is in Ireland. Uh, anyway, but uh, on tonight's show, hey, last week I talked about the billiard. Well, this week I'm going to talk about a couple of pipe shapes that are probably more difficult to smoke so the the least desirable or least uh, the least simple to smoke pipe shakes pipe shapes there we go uh, my guest tonight is pear jensen of mcbaron bringing pear back on to talk a little bit about his history in the pipe making business and then some new stuff coming out uh, music, because today is St. Patrick's Day, got a mailbag, and I've got a rant at the end of the show. Yeah, all that coming up tonight on St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been kind of a, uh, I guess, some a series of remarkable dates in a row. Kind of a confluence of, um, of uh, superstition, I guess. Yeah, we had Friday the 13th, which we all know is, you know, uh, supposed to be an unlucky day. Then we had last Saturday was 314.15, so Pi Day, named after Pi, 3.1415, and I don't care about the rest of those numbers out there because I can't remember them anyway. But uh, And then, uh, so we had uh, Pi Day, then we had the Ides of March, which was uh, not a really good day for Julius Caesar, but uh, yeah, the Ides of March, and now, two days later, St. Patrick's Day. So a whole series of uh, historical dates or uh, dates of significance. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm not really superstitious. I don't really, uh, you know, I didn't spend all day Sunday looking over my back to see if somebody was going to kill me. I also don't think of myself as a Roman emperor either. I'd like to, but uh, hey, can't, <laughs> you know, not exactly, uh, exactly going to run around in a toga all winter long. And uh, spring is in the air around here. Yeah, ice has melted away, and I can tell it's springtime because the weeds have popped up, and it's time to fight the old weeds and pollen and stuff like that for the next month or so. All right, let's get tonight's show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company, and here we go. Hola, this is Pipe Babe Melania, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Welcome back to all my Irish brethren around the world. Yeah, I guess we're all Irish on St. Patrick's Day. 
anyway, it's only, uh, I guess on St. Patrick's Day, it's only proper that I talk about the Dublin-shaped pipe. Yeah. So one of the one of the measurements that I look for in a pipe bowl or in a pipe when I'm looking at it is I look for a quarter inch of wood all the way around the tobacco chamber. I want to make sure that there's at least a quarter inch thickness of briar all the way around it, top, bottom, left, right, and I can either do that with my fingers or I can yeah, I can pretty much visualize if it's got enough wood on there for me. One of the shapes that if it's not done absolutely perfectly that can cause problems is the Dublin. Now, last week I talked about how a billiard kind of puffs up towards the middle or bottom of the bowl. The Dublin does the exact opposite. It's wide at the top, narrow at the bottom, and that narrowing at the bottom, if the if the pipe isn't made correctly, can cause some thin spots down there. And in my opinion, the bottom half of the bowl is the most dangerous when it comes to burnouts or thin spots. So the Dublin shape, as you smoke it down, it's going to get hotter and hotter towards the bottom of the bowl, and you're running into thinner and thinner wood. Uh, The other thing for the Dublin shape in particular is most of us, when we hold a pipe, our first finger is shorter than our middle finger. Yeah, don't, all right, everybody look at your middle finger. Uh, But that Dublin shape makes it harder to hold, so it's less comfortable for gripping when you're smoking a Dublin. Same issues run into with the horn-shaped pipe, uh, some of the forward canted pipes. Because of that forward cant on it, it puts a lot of pressure on, or a lot of the heat ends up on the back side of the bowl, and you don't get much cake build up on the bottom, but you get all that all that heat is building up and pushing up towards the top side of the bowl. So these are less comfortable to hold. They're a little more dangerous to smoke if you smoke all the way to the bottom of the bowl, and you have to be uh, you have to be really careful and make sure and get a little bit of a cake building up down at the bottom part of the pipe to help protect that bottom part of the bowl. Now, with all that being said, when I was, you know, thinking about what, you know, how to talk about this for this segment, I looked at my own collection of pipes, and (laughs) I like a lot of Dublins. There's a lot of, a lot of the pipes in my collection are Dublins. I like the shape. I like the way it looks. I like the way it feels in my hand, although I did notice that a lot of the Dublins that I have tend to be my clenching pipes, which doesn't make sense to me at all after thinking about it because with the Dublin there's more shape or there's more wood up towards the top part of the bowl which would make the angle or the weight off balance a little bit. But it's what I like. So I guess with uh, some of those Dublins as I was thinking about it, you know, I really just kind of sit back and relax with it and hold the pipe and just enjoy the heck out of the shape. Uh, some of the uh, one of the other things I noticed while looking at the Dublin shape was that I don't like pipes that are uh, wider left to right than they are front to back. The uh, the pipes that kind of widen out left to right just don't do a thing for me, and I don't understand it. Uh, I want to throw in a couple other shapes that I think are a little more difficult to smoke real quick that are just simple ones. I said the Zulu and the, uh, the Yachtsman, those forward cants and the horn because it's hard to work with and you, you run a risk of burning out the backside of the bowl. Uh, some of the more abstract art looking shapes, like a, like a real dramatic volcano where the pipe maker has made really thin walls to accentuate the volcano shape. That can be a bit of a problem. Anywhere where the pipe maker has had to wiggle the bowl or like some of these new stylized poker shapes where there's a bend in the bowl, be careful when you're smoking that because you want to make sure the tobacco chamber is a straight drill right through that, right through the middle of that wiggle of wood. And you want to make sure that you've got plenty of thickness all the way around it. All right, there's my thoughts and you're uh, welcome to it. Uh, In just a minute. Pear Jensen will be on the phone with me. (laughs) 
I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. This is Internet Radio. Please welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. I'm now part of uh, one of my compatriots from the same organization. And, uh, Pear, when we first had you here, it was specifically about McBaron. But this time I want to get into a little bit of your, a little bit of your personal history and talk about some of the stuff that's coming up. So welcome back, Pear George Jensen. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you. All right, so your uh, so winter is almost over in Denmark. Hopefully, maybe. Well, we have high hopes that uh, summer eventually will come in a couple of months, and uh, we'll be able to wear shorts one or two days this summer before winter attacks us again. But uh, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> All right, so as I as I alluded to in the introduction, your middle name is George. And your last name is Jensen, which for those of us in the pipe collecting hobby may recognize as George Jensen. And you were essentially born in a pipe factory. That's correct, yeah. Uh, well, my father founded uh, the George Jensen Pipe Factory in uh, 1954. And, um, well, it was terrible hard work at the beginning they have to work more or less 24 hours a day seven days a week uh, five years later i was born um so i think they got a little bit spare time um, <laughs> for that and uh well the only thing i can i can remember when i grew up um i never had to ask where they were because they were always at work and uh Becoming a little bit older, um, then I started working in, in the pipe factory with the, with the simplest things. For instance, adjusting uh, the briar blocks into uh, sizes, uh, which size should be used for a specific shape. Um, and each sack of, of ebouchons, as we called it, has been gone through and uh, put into different sizes. So we didn't use a too big a block specific shape so let, let me backtrack for a second there because a each specific shape of in the in the factory required a different size uh, yeah that uh, well that was depending on how long was um, the pipe itself yeah how high how wide so uh, actually we're showing three dimensions and all three measurements have to be done and how old so, were you when you were sorting briar blocks? Oh, I think it was nine, eight, nine at that time. So yeah. shortly after after you were done playing with building blocks at home, you started playing with briar blocks at the factory. Exactly. I think that is a, a new way of saying um, this is child working, child labor. <laughs> but, but but actually, I was uh, I was enjoying it. And then the, later on, of course, all the, the more interesting uh, part of the production, uh, I was able to do that. Uh, and certain things I had to wait until like I was 15, because it was not uh, allowed in Denmark that uh, you, for instance, uh, used a machine for doing a job uh, if you're not above 15. So I have to, I have to wait for that. So you couldn't work on a work on a lathe or on a uh, or on a drill press until you were old enough to realize that you might cut your fingers off. Uh, no, no, and and in that case, well, no insurance would uh, would recover it. 
80 different work processes uh, to make a pipe. And a lot of them are, are done without machine. So uh, actually it was only the first, uh, the first part, the rough shape uh, that was made by machines and the rest was uh, handwork, sandpapering and, and so on. How many people worked at the at the factory at the peak of production? At the peak of production, there were 29 altogether. Meaning we had one uh, one in the office, and uh, the rest, the 28 rest, was in production, including my my father and mother. And everybody was everybody did a specific job on a pipe, or did one person take the pipe from start to finish? No, uh, everybody had a, a I would say a group of works that that for a specific time, two or three hours a day, you did one kind of job, then you changed uh, to doing something else. But uh, it was not uh, done like um, if you want to make one pipe. And you have to take it from the raw block until the finished pipe itself is, is lying on the table. Uh, and one person has to do everything. We didn't do that. So we had specialists into um, to each kind of, um, of task. And all the, the pipes that came out of the factory, were they all branded with the George Jensen name on them? Or did you also make pipes for other stores and other companies? At the beginning, it was very much private label. Um, because it was actually, uh, <clears throat> we were a very small factory, and, and um, to, to in customers, we had to do private label. And then slowly, um, my father started naming his, uh, the pints after himself, and uh, we stood them actually more or less in, in the whole of Europe. We couldn't sell it in, uh, in the United States uh, under the name George because George Jensen Silverware had the, the name registered for, I think it was for secret entries um, or something like that. Uh. But at least they had the, regula- uh, the registration, so we had to do something else. And we started out with a name called North Dane, uh. and later on we just called them Jensen. So the, the famous George Jensen Silver group wouldn't let you use your own name. But we, we, we tried same. and tried, but nope. And when when a company or when a retailer would come to you and talk to you about having a uh, having private label pipes made, uh, did they talk about the the style or the colors that they wanted and the and the shapes and the quantities? Well, they, they had ideas of um, of what we should uh, how how. They wanted us to, to, to make the pipes. And of course, it has something to do, of course, with price. Uh, the more that we're willing to, to invest, uh, the better a product we could, uh, we could produce. And we have had, uh, well, we have had also some very fam- famous brands, uh, which was made in, in the factory out of the Davidoff pipes, were at a certain time made by us. Uh, we had uh, W. Larsen was made uh, by us, the machine pipes. So um, it was always um, on, on the same track as, as our own pipes. What was, a, uh, what was a standard order size for a private label pipe for just a, for a traditional retailer? For a retailer, well, I don't think we have done any private private labeling for, for, for retailers because uh, to do something of a specific shape you have to turn uh, at least 500 bolts ah. and uh, you could calculate that 20% of these bolts were thrown away because they were not good enough and then you had um, 20 to 25% untrusted that's the big majority of them, the middle quality and only one to two percent at the top. Wow! In 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 ways of fillings, in names of of um, of grains. So um, yeah, the top the top class was was always very expensive. And I actually used uh, the rejects 
um, I was very often asked, what, what are you doing with them? Well, I was living in the, in the house just next to, to the factory. <laughs> of course, got a little bit older. And I was heating my house with uh, all these rejected uh, pipe bowls. <laughs> Give a fantastic uh, heat. I would imagine they burned very slow. Uh, they did. And actually, they, they, uh, they came up um, in fire with flames, and then they settled down and just glowed. And, and they produced a lot of heat. So no uh, no piece of wood was was left unused at all. No no no. Um, uh, we had uh, a farmer with um, with growing houses. And he came and took all the the small pieces of wood uh, left over from the big machines. He took that and um, put it into an oven, and he uh, heated his his growing houses uh, actually with with wood. <laughs> when the factory, uh, as you got older, did you get involved more and more in the designing of shapes and the designing of finishes? Yeah, that, that was actually the, the very funny part of it. Um, well, my father died in 1980. Uh, my mother, my sister, and myself, we um, carried on the factory. Um, and we had it until 1999 where we sold it. But in that time, we were, I would say, my, my sister was very, very good at, at figures. So, of course, she was accountant and, and production planner. And my mother just loved to, to work with wood. And I loved to play around with new designs and new shapes and, and stuff like that. And I promise you today, I could write a book, How to Make a Pipe Factory Running. <laughs> Were, were, there, looking, looking back. were there any shapes that you tried to make that you just couldn't get to work because of uh, because of design or uh, or because the machinery wouldn't cooperate? There were, of course, we uh, we were producing uh, the last fifteen years. We had a copy machine, and there were some uh, limitations of which shapes it could make. And for instance, if you take the line from uh, the ball to, to the shank, uh, it's more or less rounded. That is because the machine were using rounded uh, knives to cut it. So to make a sharp line there, that has to be done in, by hand. So we had a lot of shapes where we, we said, well, this is the rough one. Then we have to modify it by hand. And then we start the normal production. Wow, so if you we had, we had a lot of that. So to do a square shank, you had to take it out of production and do it all by hand, and then put it back yeah. into the factory production line. Yes. For finishing. So, so we made we made the the, the the pipe shape as it should be, and then released it for for production, but only after turning it on the machines and making the corrections. Wow. All right, we're going to take a break right here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on with McBaron. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. Eck? 
I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Pear, and I apologize. I think I got the audio that we were we were having a little audio issue there, and I think I got it fixed now. So, uh, yeah, no break for me. While you guys are listening to commercials, I'm still working here. Uh, but Pear, let's fast forward to now you're working at McBaron, and there's recently been a, a change in the packaging of the hh line which i think the first time i had john we talked a little bit about the hh and how it stands for henrik hallberg but what's the what's the idea behind the change in the packaging well the change of um of the design uh, was that uh, we wanted to to lift it up to what i would call a higher level where where the tobacco also um should be and, and the old design were a little bit uh, one-dimensional, a little bit flat. Um, and then we decided to, uh, well, to, to put it honestly, we, we are quite, quite uh, proud about uh, making the HH line. Uh, so we decided to take the whole crest, the family crest of the Halbergs, and put that on the tins um, to write uh, the name of the tobacco a little bit more clearly. Uh, not with um, with the handwriting uh, letters, but with normal um, a normal font, so it's very easy uh, readable. Um, yeah, that that was the background. And then we did something else, because together with the change into a new design, we have also we have um, discontinued the mature Virginia and the Highland blend because those two had top flavors. And the remaining four has no top flavor, meaning uh, when you're smoking an HH tobacco, uh, there is nothing between you and the tobacco. We only used a minimal amount of casing to support the, the natural flavor of, uh, of the tobacco uh, and have added no flavors on the top. So it's as natural as you can get it. So it's a real tobacco smoking experience, and all the future blends are going to be in that same style of just natural tobaccos? All HH tobaccos in the future will be um, with no toppings and only a minimum of flavors. And that, that is actually what makes it so exciting uh, by development, because you don't have all that many flavors uh, on the table in front of you, all you have is your tobacco, and you have good things like maple uh, sugar, you have chocolate, you have licorice, um, and that, that is the things that are in the tobacco, nothing else. Now, let me ask you this, and I should know the answer, but I don't, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, when, you look at the, when you look at the line of HH and you see Acadian Perique and the Vintage Syrian and the, uh, and the old dark-fired, what happens when we run out of those tobaccos? Well, for the for the most of them, um, and, and Henrik is uh, Henrik Helberg is is very uh, focused on this to to get replacements in in the right quality. Uh, but there is one tobacco we cannot replace, and that is uh, the Syrian uh, Latakia. So when our stock is depleted. Syrian Latakia will disappear, and then, but it will it, it will not happen. I calculate uh, we got stock enough for six or seven years, but when that time comes, it's gone. And the same with the uh, with the HH old dark fired, we've got enough tobacco to last for a while with that older Burley. Yeah, we uh, well the 
the ones we used out of the 70s um, has recently been uh, been all used. So uh, we are taking on the next crop, and that was from 1983. So that is uh, how we are working now. Now explain the process because the, this is a little different than working with a uh, working with a traditional blended tobaccos. But explain the taste testing process and and how the, how 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 do we get to the point where we're introducing a new blend? Well, you have to um, you have to, to have an idea what what you're going to do. Then you try to mix the components. Uh, you're trying it out with different kind of um, of casing, uh, chocolate, licorice, uh, sugar, uh, whatever we are using. Um, and then you make a final blend, you cut it, uh, and then you smoke it. There's only one way of judging if a tobacco is okay, and that is smoking. Then you go back, you correct something, make a ready tobacco, you smoke it, you judge it, correct it, and so you go on. And we have had tobaccos where we have been in, in every time we change the line, meaning we are making major changes in the raw tobacco itself. Um, the first test is, is done by, we call it 1.3, 1.4, and so on. Then we go for 2.1 and start. And we have had tobaccos where we have been in, uh, in the group of six, meaning a lot of samples. Wow. If you, 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 can, you can measure anything. You can measure uh, humidity. You can measure the sugars. But there's one thing you cannot measure, and that is the taste. And even my taste is different from yours. Well, we all know I have no taste, but... Yeah, well, uh, let's, let's just theoretically say you, you had a taste. Yeah. But then it would be different from mine. Could be in, in the matter, uh, tongue bite, for instance. Uh, the one guy um, gets no tongue bite, and the next one is uh, jumping out the window screaming. <laughs> um, you have the same with, with, uh, with food. One guy can eat the hottest chili without even crying, and the next one thinks that uh, black pepper is a little bit too strong. It's, it's, uh, it's individual. So that leads you with one big problem. You have to feel it in, in your guts. You say, okay, I believe in this tobacco. And then you are going to have a lot of stomach pain until it is released and, and you see how it's, it's taken by, by the pipe smokers. And I know the, uh, the hot press process to create the flakes, uh, that can, the varied temperatures within the press can also alter the, the end results of the tobaccos uh, does, very much so it gets tested again at different temperatures of pressing yeah because it's it's uh, it's, it's temperature it's time and it's humidity humidity and from and my experience the hot pressing kind of takes a lot of that casing and just kind of burns it away and leaves the re, just a hint of the residual taste in there yeah and then well that that is in, in the HH line. That is the casing's job. That is to support the natural flavors of the tobacco. And then you put it into a hot press, and you changes the taste completely. <clears throat> Everything marries together in a, a complete new way. I have seen uh, reviews uh, where people are, are talking about they seem to find a, a liquor note in in in, uh, in the tobaccos. Uh, an alcohol note, and, and, and this alcohol, uh, it's the fermentation that have been, um, well, speeded up by the hot press. So you get this, this idea of there is alcohol in the tobacco, but it is just the tobacco that have been fermented. Yeah, then so packed in a vacuum tin, and then you, you feel like there's alcohol in it, but there is none. It's the same. Uh, it's the same process that any wine or spirit goes through, where it, the sugars are allowed to break down and create that that alcohol that's in there. Yeah. Uh, 
unfortunately, so, <laughs> unfortunately, I'd like to pair it with some alcohol right now, but I promise not to drink until we're done with the show tonight. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. But that that is how things can change completely when when you alter the 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 process how you you make the tobacco, and that is what is makes it so fantastic to work with. Um, you never know, know what you get. You can guess, but but you are never sure until you got the finished tobacco and say this is what we go for. And I think since the last time you were on, we introduced the modern Virginia, which is not part of the HH line, but is a uh, it's definitely a unique product in that it uses the hot press and it also uses a top note flavor. Yeah, but only very little. It only has uh, a hint of, of apricot. When you smoke it, uh, you, you smoke and you, you taste the, the tobaccos themselves. And the people in the room smell a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the fruit. Uh, well, the top flavor is uh, to honor them. So they think it's a beautiful tobacco you can smoke indoor, it's allowed. Do you remember how many versions of modern Virginia you went through before you found the final one? Well, we were at, um, we were at the third, shall we say, tobacco generation, and the fourth sample of that before we got it right. That's about, so uh, about 30, almost 30 different trials before it finally ended up in a package. Yes. And it takes time. And, the, and these trial sizes, uh, the samplings that you're doing, these are not small productions. They're 20 or 30 pounds? No, it's 50 kilo. It's uh, 100 pound. Uh, we, have, we have to do as a minimum. What happens to the tobacco that doesn't make it? Does it get uh, reused or does it become mulch for the farmer? Uh, no. We try to smoke it here, here at the factory. So you get paid for it. So you're, you're smoking uh, reject pipes in your youth and burning them, and now you're trying to smoke tobacco that didn't work out quite right? Uh, yeah, well... In your not youth. <laughs> No, no, we have um, we have specific countries where we can take all these samples and, and everything we have done. Um, also, if there was a production we were not quite satisfied with, we take those, we, we put them together, we mix them together. It could be anything, any kind of tobacco. And we give them a very, very hard top flavor. Um, and, and then they are sold on, on these markets. So nothing that, that is, nothing gets wasted again. No, 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 no. Yeah, Hen Henrik would not be happy to see tobacco get wasted. No, and, um, well, if we haven't approved a tobacco, why should we smoke it ourselves? <laughs> so we had to, to find a, a middle solution, and, and we did. So I think since the last time we talked, I came to Svenborg and visited for two or three days, and there were two things that impressed me the most about the visit. Uh, one was the mess, the the mess of oils and juices coming out of the hot presses while they're sitting there for the couple of weeks pressing the cakes. Yep. Uh, and the other thing it was that Henrik Hallberg, the owner of the entire company doesn't have an office in the main office building. His office is watching over the entrance to the factory over by himself. Yeah. That is, um, well, I explain that on on, um, on each college I do to, to, uh, to shopkeepers. Um, I always say, well, Henrik, uh, he owns a company, but um, he didn't want to be managing director, CEO, so he hired one. <laughs> and uh, he wanted his office at the factory, where he could oversee who is coming. Uh, if he wanted to go to the tobacco, he could very quickly go down and, and grab the tobacco he wants. Um, he, he is our tobacco man, no doubt about it. And that that so, was that was just wonderful for me to see that he he's more worried about the tobacco and getting a good product out. 
and, and well, he is our, our guarantee that, that nothing goes wrong, because he'll find out. <laughs> and speaking of good tobaccos, we have a new HH coming out that we've yet to really announce, but I'm hoping maybe you can describe it to uh, describe it to everybody and uh, without giving away the secret, and when will we see it? Well, let me say it. Um, it contains of uh, tobacco, <laughs> and then we took the tobacco and we packed it into a tin. And the tin we put on a label, and the name of that label I cannot reveal, not yet, but it will uh, be a new family member in the uh, HH line. And let me just say this much: it is going to be a little bit more potent tobacco than the HH tobaccos normally are. And when you say a little more potent... Uh, a little bit stronger. Yeah, I've, I've smoked it. I smoked the first... I smoked one of the earlier versions, and now I've smoked the final version. Uh, when you mean potent, you mean do not smoke this while... Uh, driving. Yes. While driving, or make sure that you've eaten a good meal before smoking it. For the most people, it would be like that, yes. As uh, I, I normally compare it to say, this is a tobacco for, for men with hair on their, their chest and, and big tattoos. Well, that so, rules me out, but I've enjoyed it a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, all, also just for the comparison. Yeah. And uh, it will be revealed on, um, on Friday. And actually, right now, I'm sitting and uh, looking at... Uh, smokingpipes.com and they have uh, we have made a small puzzle out of um, this tobacco and the first piece of the puzzle is now published and each day from now on we will publish a new piece until you'll see the whole tin on Friday and so this Friday we'll be able to get our hands on the uh, on the new HH and find out exactly what it is, and I promise I won't tell anybody about it until then. That's perfect, Brian. Um, the first version this new tobacco will uh, will be packed in uh, is a, a fifty gram tin, and uh, the new design is also coming now in in fifty gram tins. Because we had uh, a lot of pipe smokers said, well, if I have it in my rotation, I would prefer to have a 50 gram tin and smoke it while it's fresh. Otherwise, a 100 gram tin uh, would dry out. So will all, the, sure uh, will all the HH come into a 50 gram tin as well as the 100 gram? Yes. So uh, the, the new one, uh, the new design, the four existing, are both in 100 gram tins and 50 gram tins. The new one coming will only be in 50 gram, but uh, at the middle of May it will come in 100 gram and uh, probably also in one pound boxes. So we are covered like the other tobaccos. And there's absolutely no difference between the products, it just depends on the pack size that you like. It's only the pack size. It's for, um, it's for People who have this tobacco in, in their rotation um, smoke a pipe from time to time. Um, they can smoke it all before it gets dry. And it's for, for people who say, well, it could be nice to, to try it out. And they don't have to buy a 100 grams in. And it'll make my, uh, it'll fit better in my pipe bag when I'm carrying two pipes out instead of the big bulgy 100 gram tin. Yeah, the 50 gram tins are a bit smaller. So uh, you can carry them around in, in in your pocket or pipe bag or whatever. It, it fits. So normally we'd wrap this up with the fast five final questions, but since you did them last year, I'm not going to ask them to you again. Uh, you will be at the Chicagoland Pipe Show for uh, three or four days, correct? Yes, I will, uh, I will be there. I will be arriving on... On Friday and leave uh, Sunday evening, so uh, anybody who wants to have a tobacco talk, please join us at our table or find us when we are in the tent. And you can even ask Perry to show you how to do the fold and the fold and bend and twist uh, flake packing. Yeah, uh, I would love to do that, but 
there are millions of ways to, to fill a pipe. Each pipe smoker has his own way. But uh, this one is my favorite, so if any, anybody wants to see it, please stop by, and we'll do it. Pear, thank you very much for uh, staying up late with us and joining us again on uh, on a St. Patrick's Day. Is uh, Do the Danes do anything special for St. Patrick's Day, or is it just another day to go drinking? Uh, I think they just visit another bar, an Irish pub. Oh, okay. Instead of their normal. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see you in about, uh, oh boy, what is it, about six weeks until Chicago? Six weeks, yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing you. And the same to you, Brian. Look forward to see you. Okay. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Satleff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malto Dolce blend in public. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I want to apologize for you about the. Uh, want to apologize to you about the sound quality there. The uh, gremlins of uh, St. Patrick's Day got into our internet, our internet phone connection to over to Denmark, and boy, that really did sound bad. Uh, but anyway, we got through it. Want to thank Pear for joining me for music tonight. You know what? No pipe smoking link link to this, but I found a young guy named Duncan Honeyborn, who is a uh, pianist in the United Kingdom of uh, great accolades and honors, and uh, he has this piece called an Irish jig. So I figured for St. Patrick's Day, how about a fun piano piece called the Irish jig?
is Duncan Honeyborn, spelled H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-U-R-N-E. Google search him. He's got a couple of CDs available, and I'm sure you could find his downloads on uh, iTunes as well. Three little words. You've got mail. couple of updates for you. JDRF Auctions. JDRF Auctions will start Saturday, March 28th. So far, I know we've got a couple of pipes. We've got five vintage uh, tins of tobacco and a couple of handmade tampers that have been donated. If you have something that you'd like to donate, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. We definitely appreciate that. And the auctions will start on... Saturday the 28th. Uh, the uh, pipe smoking cruise is uh, sunk. Uh, well, let's not say sunk, but no longer on the radar, shall we say. Couldn't get enough people to commit in order to get the group rate and then in order to get all the uh, special add-ons that I wanted to do. We are still looking at possibly doing a, a vacation cruise for us, so I'll let you know. And if you want to join us as soon as I book it, Hey, we'll just book it, and then we might all just hang out. Whoever we get, whatever we get, we'll have fun. But uh, anyway, the official cruise, no longer. All right, in the mailbag on uh, Stitcher. On Stitcher, got a couple of reviews there. Got a new one, uh, and it says, The host and guests are so personable, informative, and entertaining that I feel like I'm hanging out with my pipe-smoking friends. Fortunately, whereas I might get to smoke with friends once every few weeks, sometimes months, I get to hang out with the fine people on this show every week, and that's uh, Baroque, who's a regular responder to the show. And going back to last week's episode, uh, John Seiler writes, Hi Brian, all my billiards are bent. Oh well. Rob Cooper is a pipe person that I do know both through meeting and hearing him speak at the pipe shows and through purchasing from him on eBay. I know I did not start with Dunhill and Barling pipes, more like Whitehall and Medico. Uh, Cooper's Ark, and I thought it was... It is Cooper's Cooper's Ark, A-R-K, like a sailing ship or scotch. Um, A mentoring session at Chicago is a great idea. I agree with your comments on the new pipe smokers and the need for your sessions. Uh, You mentioned the environment in which you smoke the pipe, which is something I firmly believe. Great interview. Music, pipe, dream, asleep at the wheel. Very nice song. Rant, Charlotte Time Warner Arena goes non-smoking. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, Riff Raff says, It's been a while since I've been here, but I haven't missed a show. The billiard is one of my favorite shapes. You you just can't beat a well-made billiard. It is the quintessential pipe. The interview with Rob was great. I feel that there are a lot more stories and loads of information yet to be heard from. Maybe a part two uh, would be in order. I fully agree with Rob and John Seiler that set, that the setting in which a pipe is smoked is paramount and directly proportional to the enjoying experience of the pipe. It makes all the difference in the world. Sadly, it can no longer be the Time Warner Arena. Love the music choice. Never heard that song before. An instant favorite. Great show, gentlemen. Uh, Baroque writes, here he is again. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode and interview with Mr. Cooper. I wish I could attend his talk in Chicago. I feel compelled to add, though, that not all K. Woody and Yellow Bowl pipes are garbage. I'm not saying Mr. Mr. Cooper views these pipes as garbage. He was recounting his interaction with another fellow. Uh, 1960s K. Woody's and Yellow Bowls are not great pipes, but earlier pipes from both brands are quite often good, even excellent. Yeah, that's important to remember that when you're looking at some pipes of the past, there are transitional times in the pipes, and not all of them are absolutely wonderful, and some of them are absolutely great. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, really enjoyed the pipe part segment on billiards. I think purists would even have a stricter definition of a billiard than you do. I know at the KC Carving Contest last year, we received 57 entries of billiard pipes. By the strict letter of the law, maybe five or six of them were really billiards. To a rather unknowledgeable person as myself, this was very surprising since the billiard looks so simple. Uh, Rob Cooper is always interesting. He certainly is knowledgeable about online selling. I think his mentoring is a great idea in newbies to the area... Uh, to need to attend these sessions. 
I was able to spend some time with him at the Columbus show when Premel took half the attendees out to dinner. Obviously, the arena management carved into the lunatic, lunatic left. This will always be the case as long as the righteous right continues to be silent about their rights. Now, actually, the, uh, the arena thing was a result of a city ordinance that had to be applied to all buildings. Uh, and going on, Al, S.S. Jones writes, What a terrific interview. I don't know Rob Cooper, but have seen him at a few shows. Internet chatter isn't always kind to him, and I thought that I didn't or wouldn't like him. However, after hearing his interview, it seems we share many of the same views. I really like his answer about the engineering of a pipe and the variables involved. I was pleased to hear him say there is no pat answer. Please invite him back for another show. I'll definitely look forward to striking up a conversation with him at the next event. And uh, Rick Newcomb writes in, Great interview with Rob Cooper. He can go through a pipe show like no one else I know, where he looks at each table one at a time to get an overview and see every table at the Chicago show in less than an hour. I've tried to do this, even following him, but something always sidetracks me, and I haven't even come close to seeing every, every table even after two full days of wandering around, Rob is truly knowledgeable about pipes. Uh, Mike Beltranina writes, uh, thanks for the shout out. And yeah, well, I had a great time with you too. And keep up the good work. Uh, I look forward to your next visit. Yeah, I'm ready to go back to New York again just as soon as it warms up. Uh, D.L. Gillen writes, hi, Brian. I hope we... I hope someone will create a video of Rob's lecture for the YouTube community. It would also be great if Rob could put on a pipe restoration clinic at the show. I think that was the longest Fast Five final question so far. Another great show and interview. Thanks. Uh, let me answer that, and I'm pretty sure that Rob will tell you, uh, no, he's not going to put on a restoration clinic at the show because those are his his proprietary techniques of getting pipes ready for sale, and the uh, idea of doing a YouTube video, well, that's entirely up to Rob, but I will tell you that one of the benefits of going to a pipe show and getting out to pipe shows and spending the time and the money to go to a pipe show is to see some of these presentations and at the same time talk to some other people. You may not get a full presentation from them, but in a half-hour discussion, you may get some ideas that, uh, you know, that you never thought of. Anyway, going on, uh, Der One Tring, One I'm, I have no idea what that name is. Anyway, we'll call him Der One Trunk. Uh, how about a show with an interview with reps from Samuel Gowith and Gowith Hogarth clans? Is it true, according to your last podcast, that there was some bad blood betwixt the two companies? The world wonders. Uh, no, there wasn't bad blood between the two companies. They just decided to go in a different way and then spent that time apart for uh, 50 years. And I am working on getting uh, Bob Gregory from Samuel Goweth on the show with me. All right, there you go. Uh, listen, next pipe show's coming up. He is uh, April 11th, the Taps Raleigh Pipe Show. And then after that, the Chicagoland Pipe Show, where you'll be able to see me and, and Per Jensen there. And then after that, in Kansas City, the weekend of uh, October 21st, 22nd, 23rd, I believe. Uh, no, June 19th, 20th, 21st. June 19th, 20th, 21st, Kansas City. And Chicago show May 2nd and 3rd, really May 1st. But plan on getting yourself out to a pipe show. It's well worth the effort. All right, in just a minute, rant time. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. 
Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for cupofjoes.com. Cupofjoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. Cupofjoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly pipes. Check out their remodeled website at cupofjoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook, cupofjoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. Attribution is what I'm going to bitch about. Yeah, attribution. Now, I skimmed through Facebook and a couple of the Facebook groups on there. I, you know, A couple days a week, I spend about an hour skimming through those. I skimmed through the forums on PipesMagazine.com about once a day just to see what's going on. And there may be a couple of days where I go without it. But I'm regularly seeing people posting pictures of pipes or images that they're grabbing from other known websites and posting it like they found it like they owned it no you didn't own it you didn't find it now the the sites that i'm talking about are in in particularly pipe related uh including pipedia and pipefill.eu these are sites that are put up by people that are just wanting to help educate and spread the word of the pipe uh, pipe history pipe hobbies and if you just go in there and grab a picture off of there and post it on facebook or pay or post it in a forum like it's your own without giving attribution to where you found it how is that helping the community does it make you look good that you found that picture and you're taking claim for it no it doesn't make you look good we all know that you don't have all these pictures that you're at your beck and call What these people are doing is they're skimming through these websites or other sites that show pipe collections, copying it to their desktop and then posting it on their own, and at least just give attribution to the website where you found it. Just say, hey, I found this on pipedia.org. Let more people know about these sites. Stop keeping this information for your own. It's not yours. You didn't build these websites. You don't pay for their upkeep. You don't contribute to them. Stop posting it like you're the one that found it or you're the one that happens to have this picture and you're smarter than the rest of us. Attribution is the game, and that's why when we're here on the radio show and we play a piece of music, I always make sure and tell you who the artist is. I didn't I didn't get it. It wasn't me that made it. It's attribution. Just give attribution and help all of us in the community know where you're getting all this great information from. All right. If you would like to advertise on the Pipes Magazine radio show, please contact Kevin Godby, Kevin at PipesMagazine.com. Post any questions or comments you got for me on the forums or on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. We appreciate those iTunes and Stitcher feedback ratings and reviews. Those do help the show get found. Share the show. Hey, and uh, if you're on Facebook, uh, post an attributed picture to the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. All right, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Pear Jensen for joining me. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Till we meet again.
your eyes, lads. Show some respect. 